All right, welcome everybody to episode seven. Tonight it's an honor and a privilege to talk with Fire Chief uh, Brett Reinbolt, who is a uh, very good friend of mine and uh, Michael Benson's. And so, Michael Benson, why don't you do the proper introduction? All right, it's my pleasure to introduce Brett Reinbolt, who has 28 years in the fire service for the Lakemore and Springfield Fire Departments, the last seven of which he has been the fire chief full-time fire chief for Lakemore. And in that short amount of time, he has acquired $2.5 million in grants for his community and combined with the low interest USDA loans has around $7 million in investments to that village. He was able to acquire two new ambulances, two utility vehicles, a new fire station, a new city hall, updating of their police department and of their service garage with all those funds. He's also instituted 24-7 staffing at his station with a combination of full-time and part-time personnel, and hopefully he's going to be getting a safer grant to add to his full-time staff. He started off with a career in the private sector, was a part-time firefighter, and he is bringing that perspective to municipal government, and as you can tell by his accomplishments, is doing very well by adapting to municipal style. He's also a very good friend of mine and a very good friend of Rob's, and it's our pleasure to welcome Fire Chief Brett Reinbolt to our podcast. Yay! How you doing, Brett? Good, how are you guys? Not too bad. So the way we normally start these off is just kind of want to get to know you a little bit. So tell us a little bit about your journey. I mean, where where did you start? Um, How did you go from private sector into the fire service? And and then we'll kind of see where conversation goes from there, brother. Um, Well, I grew up, my dad was a chief for Valley Fire for a lot of years. So I grew up in the fire service. my brother just retired as police chief of Blanchester, Ohio, uh, and now he is in charge of the state of Ohio's advanced police officer training. And my cousin retired from Richfield Police as a police chief, so we have a lot of safety services in the business. Um, uh, I was a jerk when I was young. And, uh, <laughs> You're in good company. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to college. And, wanted to play football and drink and and do all the things we shouldn't so i had a slow start it was actually my mom that i got a tax return one year for like a thousand dollars and she made me use it to go to the fire academy and uh so i went and i loved it and made a lot of good friends that i still have today from that but that's when it started um i went through that and got through the academy got my emt and all that stuff and then when i got done with college stuff that I was doing I've got into the financial world so I started doing that and uh, I got all the certifications for finance and budgeting and all those things which come in handy now and uh, when I met my wife her uncle owned a large construction company in Cleveland Ohio Westlake and I started working there and became uh, in charge of operations we had geez, some busy season probably 300 employees um, and uh, real stressful, but I did enjoy it and I appreciated it. So I got away from the fire service and got into the business world, uh, but I found that it just wasn't my calling. Um, I started at Valley Fire. I worked for Chief Riedel, who still today is a very good friend of mine, and Chief Morehouse, and uh, then got into the financial world and unfortunately kind of left the, left them hanging. Um, and then went into uh, doing what I was doing, but I just didn't, I didn't enjoy it. And uh, some opportunities came up. I got on Lakemore part-time 
and then uh, some opportunities came up and I became the full-time fire prevention officer so I stepped away from the private world which I gave up a lot of money but I wanted to do what I wanted to do that was I enjoyed and uh, the rest is history um, the chief's position came open I really didn't think I had a shot but heck I threw my hat in the ring and uh, the mayor liked me and council liked me so they hired me so and here I am seven years later I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but here I, here I am. Oh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. So uh, what I find interesting is you said that you were successful in the business world, but yet you didn't find it fulfilling. Um, Absolutely. Not. And then, so what about the fire service fulfilled you? What what about it that that you went? You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna make less income, but it, this fills my my soul up. I mean, it all, I played football from the time I was in seventh grade and up through. So the, the, the camaraderie, the teamwork, the leadership ability is something that I really, really enjoy. Um, and helping people to grow, I just didn't feel that I was reaching that aspect of my career. Um, helping people to grow and see them succeed, for me now to this day, is still hugely important. It's really the, the biggest thing that I get out of this job. So... Um, it wasn't about money. It was about enjoying what I was doing. And uh, when the opportunity presented itself, it was some conversations with my wife. But thank God she's been so supportive and, and just perfect. And, and that's what I did, man. And there's days that I wish I hadn't. There is. Sure. Especially with the fire service the way it is now. Yep. Uh, but I'm still very grateful, and, and I do enjoy it. So it sounded like, uh, not only from your family, but it sounded like with uh, the chiefs at uh, Valley Fire, I, I know both of those gentlemen as well, um, highly respected in the area. Did you choose to follow them as far as uh, try to emulate what, the, what they were doing? I mean, where did you get your style or um, who, who motivated you? You know, of course, I would like to say my dad, but I really not had, didn't have a chance to see him as a chief. You know what I mean? Okay. So, um, Chief Riedel, he was he was hard on me, and and rightfully so. I was I was a mess. So, him and and then he was kind of the good cop to the bad cop of Chief Morehouse, where Chief Morehouse was just always the good guy that you could go to, and you know, and and Charlie would come over and smack you in the head and say, "What the heck you doing?" Yeah. So I kind of would emulate both of them yeah. you know and then when I became chief it was a whole new world and luckily I had a very strong base uh, you know chief Funai from green um, that, I, that I really leaned on a lot that helped me a lot uh, chief O'Neill from Akron was was a benefit to me of course chief Benson uh, we were his first fire officer for class at Akron U so um, really I took a, everybody and kind of threw them in a hat and the first few years of I would say the first year of chief I, probably was a disaster, but, you know, I tried to take everyone that I knew and the chiefs that I knew um, that were a positive aspect. Uh, the Chief Leslie from New Franklin actually was a big help to me and, and Chief Young. So the people that were around me, I really tried to emulate, but also come up with my own style. Mm -hmm. You know, my thing was always, to me, the fire department's about the guys period you know you take 
that station and all that equipment and all the things that we have and the million dollars that we spend and you take the guys out of it, that means nothing, right? Right. It means nothing. If you don't have them, it means nothing. So I really leaned my hat a lot on doing what was best for them and treating them how I would want to be treated. Okay. Man, I got so many questions. Um, so it sounds like you took the, the best of, of everybody. Is there one person in particular that did something that really helped set your mindset towards towards the job? And what did they do? I mean, was it was it um, the chief that that kind of smacked you into line? What was the the strong disciplinary type? What motivated you? Was it the um, people just reaching out, like Chief Funai, um, Chief Leslie, Chief Benson? Uh, what what did they do in particular that served as almost a, a as a mentor for you? I would say my biggest mentor was, you know, my best friend today, which is, like I said, my cousin retired from Richfield Police, but um, he was the police chief in the Peninsula. And through college, I worked for their service department. And I saw how he interacted every day with his people and the residents and just us in general and how he treated people. And it was, for me, it just helped me grow so much. But at that time, you know, again, where I was young and stupid, I didn't see it until I got into a leadership role. And then all of a sudden you realize, wow, you know, that's how I want to be. That's how I want to interact with people. And he was a huge influence. I mean, my mom and dad split up when I was young. My brother went to college. My other brother went to the Air Force, and he was all I had. So I learned so much from him on how to just be a, not, not only a good person, but a good leader. Uh, that was huge for me. My football coach in high school, you know, Coach Hammond, uh, he beat the heck out of me, yeah. you know, because I was an idiot. You know, it's amazing to me I got through high school because I just, I did not put myself through what I needed to to be a good student, you know, a good, well-rounded person. Unfortunately, it took me until, geez, 25 or 26 years old to figure out how to be to be a good person and to, and to well-round myself. And by then, sometimes it's too late. Right. But Keith was a huge influence on me. You know, my brothers um, are both great guys and good leaders. I learned a lot from. Um, and then the, the chiefs that I had when I was young. But the thing that I found when I became chief, I opened myself up to uh, everyone around me as far as leadership goes, right? So you and Chief Benson and all the people in South Summit County and the Summit County Chiefs, that were that kind of took me under the wing and helped me but also that I learned from to become a good leader I think that what happens a lot of times when you first become a chief the ego probably gets in the way a little bit right so you close out other people and their opinions uh, I did not do that because I needed to learn how to be be a good leader and be a good chief and to run my department so I sucked up everything I could you know um, and became close with a lot of these guys, you know, including you guys and, and the people that I work with every day. Uh, Chief Terrell from Wooster Township, he and I went to Akron U together, and we became very close, and we, and we went back and forth and learned a lot of things from them. So I, I never shut myself down from learning from everybody, no matter their style. 
You know, they could have been a completely different style from me, but there's always a small aspect that you can pull from them and that you can use, uh, which I think is important for you to partner, right, as far as being a leader. <clears throat> I, I want to dig a little deeper on the how to treat people. What specifically did you learn on how to treat people? Can, can you go into a little bit of detail on, on that? I mean, um, so one of the things that I said uh, in a previous podcast is the epiphany that I had when I became an officer was that I needed them more than they needed me. And that really changed how I chose to supervise and manage. So I'm kind of curious, what is it about or what is it that you did to avail yourself to your firefighters or, or the community or people around you? I guess just give a shit, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do need them. I don't want to work every day, right? So I need them. But also, you know, keeping track of what's going on with their family. They just had a new little one or, the, or they had a baby that was sick and sending them a text and saying, hey, hope you guys are good. I just had a young man tonight that I called. I literally called. He worked all day today. He's been with us for about a year. Um, he wasn't 100% bought in. I just could feel it for a while. He always worked nights and never was there during the day. But for the past six months, he's been really buying in and coming in and doing the job and showing interest in the job. And when I got home tonight, I called him on the cell phone and said, hey, I just want to let you know I appreciate you, and I appreciate your, the things you've been doing, and I see the change in you and how you're growing. And I know you're in medic school and you have a lot going on, but I want to let you know we're here for you, and whatever you need, we got you. And small things like that go a million miles with people, right? Yeah. Or remembering when their, bir when their birthday is. Hey, happy birthday. Hope you have a great day. The, the, the chiefs that just put asses in seats to get the job done, aren't doing their job right right they have to care about the individuals that care about them right and that's what 100 percent what i put into the department is giving a crap coming in every day caring about what's going on with these guys if they call me and said chief i got a family emergency i'm just not going to make it in today absolutely you take care of your family that's number one you don't worry about it we'll take well, we got you not well you're getting written up because you called off today right so i did the whole I just completely bought into caring being tr treating these guys like I would want to be cared for you know I've I've had some jobs where people just didn't give a shit about you mm -hmm. so yeah and, and I do I truly do and I can honestly say that I care about the guys uh, I care about the residents I care about the community and I will do everything I can to to do my best I mean we've had dollar an hour raises every year for the past four years and I haven't had one mm -hmm. So that's because that's who matters, yeah. right? Those guys matter. If, if the 37 guys I have don't show up for work tomorrow, guess who's screwed yeah. up, right? So, you know, that's what I've leaned on. I, I kind of went through, um, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because it's water under the bridge, but I kind of went through a similar situation um, that you're aware of. And the way that I looked at that was, it wasn't my job to be my own advocate. It was my job as the chief, as a leader, to advocate for, for those under me. And it sounds like that's exactly what you do as well. Um, and I shouldn't say sounds like. I, I know that's what you do. 
I know that's what you do, and I think that's why you're so successful and respect it um, in the fire service. Um, so, so hats off to you. What? Uh, so you you went from the private sector to the fire service, um, and then got into fire prevention. Talk about that, because I mean, being a firefighter is one thing, but then moving to fire prevention, it's a whole different mindset. It's a whole different set of skills and everything else how did you transition yourself or what did you find that worked well when you were starting to move up the ladder so let me let me go back real quick to what we we're talking about caring about our guys and then I'll, I'll wrap back around but you also have to care about the guys that you work with or the chiefs right the leadership of it and and that's you know i think anybody knows that they can call me anytime and i'm there for them from, from bottom to top, and we have to, to be very well-rounded with, with that as far as, you know, the newest guy to the, the ch- tenured chief who's been there for 30 years, if he needs something, you go to right. him, right? So um, fire prevention for me, I'll be honest, is is, is awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's very boring to me, right? It is to anybody. You get that book in front of you that's, you know, 16 inches thick and you have to flip through 12,000 pages to find the thing you need but I think you realize that that's where it starts Yeah. Right. so I wrote a paper for school one time that fire departments in the in U.S. spend about 7 to 14 percent and 14 being way on the high end for fire prevention right departments in the European countries or other countries spend almost 75 to 80 percent on fire prevention wow so what's that saying about us? Because, well, they're going door to door, helping people to prevent fires, and, and we're saying that's the most unimportant part of it. Yeah. And I guess what I had to do when I became fire prevention was say, well, this is important, right? Yeah. It's important, um, and, and put everything I have into it, which I always do in the things that I do. Whatever I'm doing, I want to put everything I have into it, whether I, I'm thrilled about it or not. Um, much rather would be commanding or going into a structure fire, but you know that's that's a huge thing. I I did enjoy it, and I still do it. Mm-hmm. You know, we have um, I want to say 13 inspectors right now, um, and I still do a lot of inspections. It's not like we have 700 businesses on Lake Morris, so, uh but I enjoy it because the biggest thing for inspection is you get to get out and meet the people that pay for you to be there, right? So you get to go out and meet, you know, the administration from the schools and the business owners and the people that you need to be with or, you know, rub elbows with and get to know and and make them happy and make them feel like they matter because they do. And to me, it was kind of almost a political position. Mm-hmm. Getting out in the community, you know, introducing yourself, talking to people, helping them with issues, walking them through getting a Knox box or or an inspection set up or a situation they had we had to get under control. Uh, that's my job, and and I did enjoy that because I I I enjoy dealing with people. So um, it was a big difference though because you know my forte or what I love is the command of a structure fire and incident Mm -hmm. that's what i really enjoy so but it's all important you know every aspect so yeah i enjoyed it and i still do you know it's funny we one of our new full-timers started wednesday 
and I was taking him around, showing him around. Every business we passed by that he, hey, what's that? What's that? I would, I could remember the owners. Right. Right. Remember the owner's name and who they were and what they were, what was important to them, um, which actually surprised me because my memory is terrible. But <laughs> that's really important. Right? Hence why you were so late when, when, tonight. <laughs> so their their worst day, right? You want to know that they want to see somebody that they know, right? That can be there for them, so they trust. You know, I get out of the vehicle and at Edwin Shaw's golf course, and Ron Santo sees me, who runs the place, and says, "There's the chief. Thank goodness." That's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. So, in getting that into my guys or the new guys, and and letting them know how important that is, it's a big deal, especially when levy time comes around. Yeah. So let let let's kind of go with that thought because that was going to be another question I had. Um, what what do you do to to mentor the younger group? I mean, I to me, being a chief of a, a part time fire department, I think in a lot of ways is more challenging than being a chief of a full-time, right? Because it's a part-time job. Most of them have full-time jobs elsewhere and you have to keep them engaged. Um, what do you find works the best and, and how do you, how do you, how do you prepare the next generation to, to move up into positions and, and to provide services to the community? Well, being a chief of a part-time department or mostly part-time department is impossible. Yeah. Especially right now. Yeah. Um, guys are burned out. They're burned out from COVID. Uh, they have all the overtime they want at their full-time jobs. Mm -hmm. So why do they need me? We have been very lucky, knock on wood, that we've kept a lot of good people. But I guess the biggest thing we do, again, is care about them, care about their families, understand their situation and work around it. But also we offer so much training right so a lot of guys that i know that have gone through our department that have been promoted to their full-time departments are because lakemore sent them to fire officer one through four and inspector and instructor and all the leadership classes and help them better their life for their family so i need to understand that i'm going to get this guy i'm going to or female i'm going to get them through it all and we're going to teach them as much as we can and educate them as much as we can so they can leave me. Yeah. Right? Which is hard. Yeah. It's really hard. You know, because you do care about them. And that's okay. That's what that's my job. You know, my job is to make their life better. Period. Um, and it sucks. It does. Mm -hmm. It's very hard. Um, you get you know, you have some guys that have been there for ten, eleven years and you've watched their family grow and they started with you, but now they have three kids. And, you know, now they're a lieutenant at their full-time department. They don't have time for us anymore. And it sucks. But that's okay. And that's that's the only enjoyment really anymore that I get that I can say I help that individual reach his goals or her goals. So, yeah, I mean, it's it sucks, though. Yeah. It's really hard. You know, who do I mandate? Yeah. Right? You got an open, I have two open shifts tomorrow. Who do I mandate? Oh, I guess it's me. Yeah. <laughs> now, like it, we did, we did hired a couple more full timers, which is a huge plus. Hoping for a few more. Um, well, I, I want to even still. I want to point out real quick that that you're the chief, um, and the I'm assuming in the history of the Lakemore Fire Department to ever get full time firefighters. So, I mean, what a what a milestone that was for you. I mean, that's huge. Can I ask chief? a question? Sure. Sure. I have no frame of reference to what a part time fire department is. You're lucky. 
I mean, I would imagine that there's got to be people listening that, that don't either. What is a part-time fire department? So it's a, what we basically say, it's a combination department. So all the guys in the department, there's no volunteer. Everyone's paid, obviously. Um, but they work part-time. So the, they have a full-time job at the, say, city of Akron or Cleveland or whatever, and then they work for us on the, on the side. So it's almost like the old days when it was, hey, I work for FDNY, but on the side I'm a Mason. Well, instead, they work for, for a department on the side. Paid per call or paid per shift? Paid per hour. Per hour. Per, yep. per hour, meaning if they get called in, they come, or they get paid per hour for sitting, yep. staffing a fire station? Yeah, so they come in, they have set shifts. So they come in for 8, 12, or 24-hour shifts, and then they're paid for hour while they're on station. Okay. And, and what is your... What is your minimum staffing per, I don't know how to ask the question, per shift? What is your standard shift? What is the, what is the, what is the framework of your department look like? So it would be three guys on 24-7, and then me, if I'm, you know, when I'm there during the day. That's the hope. But the problem with part-time is, is somebody gets mandated their full-time job, or they have an illness in the family or whatever, they just call off, right? And there's no one to mandate. So if we have a say, we have three guys on, and that's what we would like to have. Uh, two guys call off. You're hoping that someone else, you send out a page or you send out a email and say, hey, we need some help on this day. That someone else will pick up that open shift. But it doesn't always happen. So it falls back on me as the chief to cover those shifts. So for the past two and a half years, I've averaged over 300 hours a month with the way that we've been set up as far as part-time. <clears throat> and you have no volunteer staff? It's, it's, you went from volunteer to all paid? There's no vo there's no backfill of a volunteer component? No, no back, no volunteer <clears throat> at all. And the, and the thing that's really hard now, you know, it used to be the part-time departments, if you did a callback, which, you know, if we have a structure fire or something, you'd have five or six guys come back. That That's no longer. And even in the full-time, you know, I'm sure, Rob, you can say, and, and other full-time chiefs will say, that callbacks used to be fairly decent because it was overtime. Yeah. But now there's so much overtime, nobody comes for callbacks. Right. So how do you, how do you uh, provide services? You're providing what type of service? Uh, fire suppression, EMS, both, with three, with three yep. people? Both, yep, fire and EMS. What does that look like? So we have... Two med units, two engines, two two utility vehicles. We run three guys, twenty four seven. One supervisor, two medics. So you you know EMS wise, if we get one call, we're browned, right? We're closed. So med units out. You have supervisor out with two guys, and it's a serious call. Then all three are on the med unit going to the hospital. So you hope for callbacks. So you put out a callback, but that's the problem now. Nobody's filling those callbacks. In a structure fire, you're running a three-man engine. And then we have uh, auto aid from our surrounding departments, which puts about 15 to 16 guys on scene within the first five minutes. So it does meet NFPA 17, 19, or whatever the heck so, it is. Right. So it would that. 17, 10. <laughs> so yeah, so it's, it's, it's a tremendous leadership challenge for you because at best you have three people there consistently, best-case scenario. Uh, right. How many people on your roster? Thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. And it, and it fluctuates, right? So, 
next month we could have 29 because you know a department in IRA decides they're going to pay part-time guys $30 an hour instead of 18 or 20 or 25 and that's the problem right now it's constantly um, fluctuating with with up and down all part-time departments you could have three guys one day you know until uh, three o'clock today we had nobody on our station tomorrow night after 10 o'clock nobody but a few guys stepped up and we have at least two so now we have at least a two-man engine and a two-man med unit right but we're relying on each other because all our surrounding departments they have the same issues or most of them not all of them but they have the same issues I mean staffing um, funding it just it's a mess right now, especially for part-time, because guys don't have to work part-time jobs. There's too much overtime. Agreed. Is there a and, – and this comes from pure ignorance uh, of, of the system that you're working in. Is there a, um, a reluctance to, to have a volunteer component, or you're against it? What does that look like? Not not against it at all, but the problem is I have one member on my 37-member department that lives in our village limits, one. It's, you know, with ALS coverage, you know, we provide 24-7 ALS coverage, so the whole volunteer aspect, and it's it's through the state. It's, it's through the state. I was just talking to Chief Riedel about this. We're, we've witnessed the death, unfortunately, of the volunteer fire department because right. the training aspect of it, the um, the care that people expect for us to show up, that it's no longer sustainable on a volunteer aspect. So our department was volunteer for many years and then switched to part-time and now switching to combination, you can't do it anymore. But sadly, we're witnessing the death of the part-time fire department now. It's guys don't want to do it so what communities have to do we either have to regionalize with our communities around us and combine or we have to go to all full-time but who has the budget for that what you know can the community afford that the community that went from a volunteer department to a part-time department now needs to go to a full-time department can they can't afford that agree i mean listen i i'm i'm with you and it's what it's what's so interesting about the conversation. <clears throat> I come from a, a career fire department of a serving a population of 83,000 in New Jersey. I live in a all volunteer suppression, full time EMS fire department that provides service to 100,000 people. So it it it's there's a, a bunch of different ways to to get this done. I'm interested in finding out how are you doing this day to day? What does this look like to get inside your mind? I've, I, I've never seen what you're doing before. Um, the, you don't want to get inside my, my mind. Well, no, I actually do. When you say, when you say combination, a combination to me means half paid, half volunteer. Right, right. I got you. I got you. And we're half, we're half full-time, not even half full-time. We're small we're three full-time, rest part-time. So there's no volunteer whatsoever. Who's full-time? So myself, and we have two other fire medics that are full-time. So you do have a, a full, um, full-time when? So they're, well, 
they will be the, the starting August 4th with start our 2448. So we'll have one full timer on 24 hours a day, 48 hours off on 24 off 48. Um, hoping to hire two more this year, and then the rest will be backfilled with full time or part time. Interesting. And then I'm on. I work every day during the week. But uh, yeah, so you have one one person guaranteed basically, as long as they don't call off or have a family emergency or on vacation, um, they're guaranteed to be there. So at least I can run with somebody else. But uh, the part time, like like we're saying, is it's hit and miss. You know, and we're lucky. These guys, they they do their best, but they're burned out too. They're tired. What's your population? Well, I would say about fifty-two hundred. Okay, so small. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Ohio's got a very working with these two. These two, uh, we'll call them different. We'll words. call them gentlemen because we're recording. <laughs> we we call, we call them different things when we're not recording, but we'll call them gentlemen. Uh, I'm learning about the Ohio system. Uh, New Jersey, very, very different. And Florida, again, different but not dissimilar. Um, but Ohio seems to have a very interesting way of providing fire and EMS service to its people. Yeah, in Ohio, our area, provide, we really rely a lot on auto aid, you know, mutual aid, other departments coming. Um, so we have enough people on. You know, we had a structure fire two nights ago. Uh, we had 16, 20 guys on scene within the first five minutes. That's amazing. If we didn't have that auto aid, if we didn't have, you know, four o'clock in the morning, you imagine if you had a volunteer department, you know, the, the poor guys aren't, they have to go to work the next day. So can they get up and deal with that? Where did those people come from? So all of our, basically we have South Summit County, which is Summit County, Ohio. Um, so Coventry, Uniontown, Mogador, Lakemore, Springfield, all the departments around us, Green, um, they're auto-aided through our dispatch, so they receive the tones as soon as we do uh, for a structured fire. So they're got they're out the door as quick as we are. All right. So Brett, when you go to work in the morning, you wake up in the morning, right? You're up out of bed, you sit up. What are you thinking about going into work as the fire I chief? Hope the schedule's full. <laughs> I hope the schedule's full. <laughs> I mean, that's what it sounds like, right? I mean, which is very different. I mean, I'm I'm in Miami-Dade County right now. Uh, close to 3,000 uniformed people. It's just totally different. I don't work there, but I live in that area. That's the fire department that I serve in my role. My fire department was 140 career, which sounds small, but very large compared to what you're dealing with. So sure. so you're going in thinking, please, everybody show up. I mean, it's, it's a different frame of mind for you going to work every day. It, it's a whole new world. And again, I'm lucky. I mean, these guys, knock on wood, 99% of the time they come to work and they do their job um, great. But it's it's just different, man. I mean, my whole, my 99% of my life right now is looking at the schedule and making sure we're, we have coverage, right? So we have essential shifts. We have at least two people there, at least one medic to run ALS coverage for our community every day, every day, every day, every day. There, there's not a day that goes by that. By the way, we have to identify ALS. So ALS is Advanced Life Support Paramedic right. Level Emergency Medical Services. Yeah. So we're making sure that we can help, we can service our residents to the care that they deserve. And that's my, that's my whole life. If I was, if I didn't have to deal with that schedule every day, 
hell, I'd be happy as can be. But I have to make sure that we have coverage. And my officers, the, the ones that we have that really help and get back and cover, they have to make sure too. And if I, I haven't had a vacation for seven years. Since I became chief, I've not been, been on vacation. Come to Miami. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to. I would love to. But, you know, that's the reality of, of what's going on right now. And it's just, it's not just me, man. It, it's, it's, it's everywhere. Everybody you talk to that's, that has a department like ours, or, and it makes no difference what you pay. You pay $10 an hour or $50 an hour, it's the same situation, period. It makes no difference. I think that's an important guess, point to make, right, is that it's not about, like you said, you left the private sector. It wasn't about the money when you did it. So it's not about the money for people that are doing it. What what is the issue? What 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 would solve not your entire problem, but what what would be a solution for your staffing problem? What would it be? I think that it's getting buy-in back into the fire service. You know, when <laughs> I started, when I started, hell man, I, I would go to the station and sit there all night and not make it and you don't have to pay me a thing. I just want to be a part of it. You know, and I went, when I started, I worked for a road department and dug ditches for three years, right? Going through high school and college and went out and mowed for my grandfather for eight hours a day in the fields and hand, had hands-on jobs. And the young people of the day, they're going through, uh, you know, the, the programs that make them an EMT and a firefighter before they graduate. So they're coming out and getting a job because everyone's dying for people. They're immediately getting a job. They don't. We've had people, that, young people, that come to the department and we said, "Here's a chainsaw. You know how to run it." And they said, "I don't know how to start that mm -hmm. thing." Right? That's the difference, man. It, it, there's the difference is so. If there was buy-in and passion, the passion and the buy-in for the fire service is going in the wrong direction right now, because. And it's, it's nothing against, I'm not saying it's generational, so I sound like I'm 90, but it's going the wrong direction, not, be, not, not to their fault, but because we're forcing these people to get a job right out of high school and become firefighter paramedics and go through, they've never had a real job. Mm -hmm. So they don't know how good they have it. When they get to a spot, they're looking for the next best spot, right? If they come to Barberton and they're making $25 an hour, they're looking for the $50 an hour job. They can't wait to get to that next step. The, the loyalty and the passion for the position and, and to be a firefighter is unfortunately, in my opinion, going away. And so what do we do as leaders? Do we just say, well, the hell with them? Or do we make them better people and make them have buy-in? Now you're talking, Brett, right? And, yeah, and that's what I'm trying to do. Whether or not it's working or not, hell, I don't know. But I keep a lot of decent people, really good people that I care a lot about. But we also lose people. And I guess, you know, a lot of my problem the last couple of years, I've been taking it personally. Mm -hmm. Taking it personally. Oh, this is my fault. And what am I doing wrong? But I, the more time goes on and the more these things continue to happen, I'm realizing this has nothing to do with me. It's the way things are. And so as a leader, I can either deal with it and come up with a plan to make it better or curl up in the fetal position. That's not going to happen. So we as leaders need to say, you know what? Screw it, man. What are we going to do to make it better? 
I'm sorry you're not going to stay. We appreciate you. Who's next and what can we do to keep them? And that's what's happened with the fire service that I see. So Benson and I had a, a conversation with a young lady uh, from a uh, small department, and she described her department similar to how you described yours in that they do their best to keep everybody trained, but they know they're going to leave. And, and one of the things that came out in our conversation that I think is imp I'm hearing you say it even though you didn't say it is you're training them, you're giving them a good experience knowing that they're going to leave, but you're also keeping the door open for them to come back because I'm curious, and you've, you've mentioned this before, how many of the people who you had left for a full-time job but then come back to work part-time for you? Almost, almost all of them. And I think, that's a, me... I think that's a testament to your leadership, right? You have created a, a fun, and I don't want to say fun because it's, it might be not the right word, but you created a department. Yes, being a part-time firefighter can't meet their financial needs, but you met another need for them. You met fulfillment for them, and that's why they're coming back. And I think that's, that's so admirable on your part that, and so understated right that i've seen departments um similar to yours their part-timers leave they want nothing to do with coming back to that department but that's not the case with you and that that's one of the reasons why i really wanted to get you on here is because you're top notch dude i mean without a doubt i mean for you to be able to bring people back i mean you you, you describe the environment very accurately right the calling for public service is fading. People don't want to do it. But yet you're able to keep them back engaged in the party. I mean, that, that's awesome. My hat's off to you on that, brother. No, it's, and it's not just me. It's, it's the department. I mean, we have a lot of people that care. You know, the problem is, though, and I will say in a part-time aspect is, the guys come back, right? So they used to all work 100 hours a month, say. They all work 100 hours a month. The schedule's full. Everybody's happy. Then they come back, and what are they working? They're working the minimum the department requires. So for us, 32 hours, right? So they stay, which is awesome because we have experience and guys that want to stay, and I care about them. I want them to be there. But they're working 32 hours, right? So what used to happen is the 15 guys that we had that stayed and worked now they're working. They went from 100 to 32 hours. Then you hire 15 to 20 more guys, the young guys, right, just out of medic school, happy to be there. They used to, then they would pick up and work 150 hours. But that's not happening anymore. Right. The new guys you hire all work 32 as well. That's why you have so many open shifts. So you have a whole department working, besides a few guys working 32 hours a month. And it, it, it's, it's never ending. Right, it just it, it seems to be continuously getting worse. You got the young guys, they work their minimum. And, and even when you interview them, you're like, look, man, I need people to work. I need holidays, weekends, overnights. And then they then they start and they work 32 hours. Hi, Riggs. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's all right. So Rob and Brett and Mike, this was a conversation in the last Fire Officer 3-4 class we had. We were trying to identify what's a 
current topic that everybody is dealing with across the board and staffing is an issue everywhere and one of the conversations we had was if everybody's trying to recruit that same person because you you guys all remember taking a test and having hundreds or thousands of people taking tests to get these civil service positions and now it's you know 10 to dozens of if you're lucky to get that number so sadly the auto aid that brett was talking about those departments right next door all are fighting for the same person they're all trying to get that person hired to work for them and this is becoming such an issue that statewide the state now has initiatives to try to incentivize people being uh, part-time volunteer firefighters and of course working their way into their fire service careers but one of the things i can see coming that was always something that we had threatened that we would hear in the 80s and 90s uh, is this consolidation, regionalization, all that kind of stuff? Well, this I can, this is the the pressure point or the pain point where I can see this kind of stuff might have to happen. And it's interesting where uh, Brett is. He's you know, a big fish in a little pond in that small village in Lake and They have a lot of talent uh, coming out of him. They're very lucky to have him as their chief, in my opinion, which of course is correct. Uh, but there's a department literally across the lake. And it kind of makes sense at some point that they really ought to be one department with two stations or one department with one station, depending on how the staffing goes. And I know they tried that on the police side, um, but I think, Brett, can you, They are they still trying to staff the Lakeport Village Police Department with part-timers as well? And are they struggling with the same struggle? Yes. Because it seems like I hear this from other services yeah, absolutely. as well. Um, Chief Roy Smith is actually new chief there. He's doing a great job. Um, he actually has now two full-timers along with him, but they're staffing the rest with part-time. And the biggest thing I try to get across to my council all the time is you can staff a police department with one guy on, right? It's not ideal. It's not safe. But you can have one guy on. Yeah. You know, For the fire service, we can't have one guy on. You've got to have two people. You've got to have two people, right? I mean, so, Minimum. But it, yeah. And you really ought to have four. So it's the right. same with police and fire. I mean, heck, the city of Green had a, a test recently, and you know how what a good department that is and what they pay, and they had 28 people take the test. It's unbelievable. 28 people? Yeah. That crazy? Yeah, three stations all full-time. It's actually uh, about the size of Barberton, so what, what are, they, are they up to about 60 full-time? No, they're, they're, they like got that. more full-timers yeah. than Barberton yeah, does. Yeah, three stations. Um, and um, they, they pay yeah, well-paid, uh, great place to work. Look at Barberton. the same yeah. way. How many people took the last test, Rob? I think uh, 15, and that was the most we had had in probably three or four years. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a shame. Yeah, they're they're given another test. Shout out to uh, Barberton if you're looking for a full-time fire job. They'll be given a test in August. Um, I, I hope they get some people uh, because, like you pointed out, Brett, the, the ones that are working – are being worked into the ground, you know, with all the overtime and then the high call volume. And so what Michael Laura kind of started down this path. I, I want to go a little bit further with it. What do you, how do you fix this? What do you, what do you see as being able to fix it? Is it money? Do we, do we need to pay firefighters more? Do we need to offer more benefits? Do we need to do a public education campaign? That I, w I will say this, that when I was at Barberton, that was the one thing that I, uh, I saw that we could make so much more progress if we did a public information campaign on the fire service. What it meant to 
to be a firefighter and a paramedic and, and all of that. And I think the fire service as a whole, at least, at least in Ohio, does a piss poor job of celebrating itself and, and, and telling people how great the job is. Not how great they are, but how great the profession is. I, th I think we really just still have the mindset of, uh, it's just my job, I'm going home. And we don't, we don't, we don't tell people. And, and because we don't tell people, they don't know. Except if they watch uh, Rescue 911 or, you know, whatever that is. But um, what, do you, what do you think so would be – how, how do we start writing this ship as a society, you think? Well, money, money, like I've said before, you can pay $100 an hour to them. I, get right. that. I don't think that's the way to do it. So let me ask you this and how I felt. I know how I felt when I put on my uniform for the first time as a full-time firefighter. How did you feel? Oh, proud as hell. You know, I was a somebody. Honored. Honored. Yeah. Unbelievably. And how I feel every day that I put my uniform on and I walk out in the public, I wear my class beat anytime I'm out of the station because I am honored to be a firefighter. Yeah. How many guys that we have right now that fight us to wear that thing, that they want to wear shorts all day because it's yeah. hot, they don't want to have pants on, yeah. right? It's a complete different, different atmosphere. So... Maybe we need to start at the beginning. Maybe we need to start going into these schools and talking to these people and selling them, these young men and women, and telling them what a great honor it is to be a firefighter paramedic and serve your community. We don't do that. What department does that? What department goes out and does that? Nobody Nobody. But no, these kids feel it. And I think, Akron, I think Akron that that's, it. at the end of the day, <clears throat> That is one of the biggest issues is that, listen, there's four people here tonight that are proud to have served in this profession. But that doesn't mean that everybody feels the same way. And we need to look at this profession and say, what do we need to do to get people to want to do what we do? And the fact that we feel like we need to convince them to do it is feels like an insult to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. it, it's true. Um, it is true. I mean, I had a conversation with people tonight about serving in the military. The world is a different place, and it's it's a reality. I, I'm very fortunate. I work at a fire academy. We have people lining up to get in. Uh, what would I do if, if I didn't have those people lined up to say, hey, come and do what I do? I don't know what I would need to do to, to do that. Um, it is a it's a dangerous job. It's a thankless job in a lot of ways. Uh, I was walking through the parking lot and I was looking at kid a brand new car and he had the sticker on the window, the the Maltese cross, and I thought to myself. What other profession, tell me, other than a police officer, puts a sticker of what they do on the back of their car? Tell yeah. me. What? Nobody. Yeah. Iron workers. Maybe. Steel workers. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> some, team, Maybe. some teamsters. But we rely on that. The new generation wants to know, why would I do what you want me to do? 
because they can make the same money doing something else mm -hmm. and not risk their life to do it. And the it's such a critical conversation from a mentorship perspective, which is we're four people that, that, that give a shit about what we're doing. How do we get other people to give a shit? And I believe that that there are challenges abound. Um, and I don't have all the answers. I mean, I think that asking the right questions is, is the best place to start as opposed to giving the right answers. Um, what would make people want to do? I mean, if you were paying $100 an hour, I would fly up and work a 24-hour shift. I'll be honest, I'll be honest <laughs> with you. But, we'll send you a check. Yeah, but but listen, I mean, we we have fire instructors who we cannot we pay the highest rate in the area by a large margin, which is more than double what I was making in in New Jersey. We can't get people to work. Um, it is not unique to the fire ser service, generally speaking, um, as. People working in this industry, we need to do a better job of marketing what we do mm -hmm. and not relying on our, our history. And I, I think we all agree that um, it's a challenge for us to do that. Um, but it's also our job, right? So that's one of the yeah. things that I always put forward at the university when I, and Chief Benson and I teach. Um, our job is a leader. So you have a complete and utter turd, right? This guy is absolutely worthless. So is it my as job? As opposed to another type of turd. This is a complete exactly. and utter. a complete and utter turd. So <laughs> do we say, you know, and we hear our guys, we hear our captains, our lieutenants, this guy's worthless, man. Just write him off. Let's just move on. But is our job as leaders to make him a polished turd? Yeah. He may not be the best, but he's going to be useful. That's our job. Yeah. It's the same thing with us, with the younger generation, the individuals that we want to become firefighter paramedics and to help their community or police officers. Our job is to polish these people and make them realize that this is the job for them. They may not know it, but let's make them realize it. We have to start young. We have to start young because these kids are not going into the workforce that we did when we were young and working in concrete and digging ditches and cutting down trees. They're starting with us. So let's teach them to be a good person and a good individual firefighter paramedic and want to do this job. What's that, what's that going to take, though? How do we do that? So, Brett, you kind of touched on something, uh, you know, turd officers. Um, and my question to everybody is, do you think we are doing a disservice to the fire service because of how our promotional uh, promotionals work? In other words, I, I, and I know everybody has a different, different way of, uh, of promoting, but our promotional system uh, at, at Barberton was so antiquated. I mean, it was literally, here's some books, and whoever scores the highest on the written test, you're the man. And although I don't want to um, disparage anybody that got promoted uh, that way, I'm not, that's not my point. But my, my point is, are we perpetuating a problem 
by by continuing to have a system that doesn't always get the right person in the right job. And and it, but at least that's a step up, Rob. Yeah. How how did it used to be in the fire service when you did promotions before we had assessment centers and all the bullshit? How was it done? Honestly, I've seen it done both ways. I've seen it be in kind of the good old boy system where the chief likes you, so you're going to you get blessed. And then I've seen it if you're civil service, you take a civil service test to to move up. Or you've been here look, man, or you've, you've been, been here, here long enough. Years. You're right. It's your turn, right? It's your turn. You're new you're the new captain. I know you don't know how to put out a fire or save anybody, but you're the new captain. Yeah. So at least we've taken a step forward with that. Yeah. My thing is we need to take a step forward from that. Yes. And do we redo the way we do these these promotionals? You're right. Are we doing a disservice and saying, Look, man, you read these three books, you got yourself a job. Yeah. Well bullshit. You read you know what, you you go ahead and read those three books, but also I've got fifty questions yeah. for you. And we're gonna sit down and we're gonna go over them. And if you suck, you suck and you're that you're that yeah. turd. We're gonna polish you yeah. up. But it's our job as leaders to polish that turd and make him worth something. Yes. So you're right. We're doing a disservice to the to this service. Yeah, I mean, what can we do to make these people better and not just give them jobs? Well, I I think a lot of it too um, is the environment in the firehouse, right? Um, you have. Uh, I, I want to be careful how I say this because I don't mean it insulting, but I don't know how else to to describe it. You almost have that blue collar mentality and that being what I mean by that is we're trying to get you higher wages whether you have earned it or not right that that's the game right whether you like it yeah. or not <laughs> hold, hold on a second let me uh let me text hey I've kept my dog under control by the way You're doing a great job. Um, I gave him a bone about six feet long. This, by this way, this is a very good, uh, this is a very good timely topic, and it is really not just the fire service; it's everybody. Rob, if you got an ability, if you can mute Mike, that might help. Or is it nah, just he's us coming now. across on his microphone? There you go. There you go. Now he lost the. Okay. There you go. Now he lost the feedback. That's good. So it really is a timely topic because that's one. I mean, Brett was there. We, we taught the firehouse three four class, and the uh, the group agreed that staffing is the current and future <clears throat> biggest problems that the fire service is going to have. Um, you know, there's other other things to look at as well. Of course, you have my whole electrification thing and the the technology and the requirement for people to get the job that, as Brett was yeah. referring to, that don't have a clue. Uh, they can get into the EMS stuff and maybe they're good at that, but like he said, he's never turned on a, never started a chainsaw in their life. They don't even know what a uh, small engine is. And of course, that's also going to be going you know, electric to the, to the point and all that kind of stuff, but still understanding how to do mechanical, basic mechanicals. But one thing we did at uh, Copley that I would recommend, and it could be helpful, is we did change and we're lucky. We were civil service light. We didn't have a civil service commission. We still tried to follow that same due process concept so that people had still had to earn your, your position. But you were able to assess people for capability. 
What can you do? It may not be what you could do today, but what are you capable of? And when we did the promotionals, we actually assessed people for the, are they ready to lead? Do you have leadership capabilities as compared to are you the best firefighter paramedic? Are you the best uh, person with hands on how to do stuff? Well, we know that because we see it every day. But can, are you ready to lead? And how do you assess leadership qualities? And then they're starting to get into psychological evaluations, even though it's not specifically psychological evaluation. It is a ability to show what your what your possibilities are and what your capabilities are. And then you get better supervisors. You, you get better people in positions. I don't know if that's going to solve the staffing problem, but at least can get you the better person or get you the right person so you get less complete and utter terms. Well, I think satisfying the uh, promotional is, is, is one piece of it, right? Because if you have good officers, then you'll have a good environment and people will want to stay. So it's a, it's a kind of an end-around way of, of, of resolving it. Uh, my other point was if, if you – it just seems like it, we've made it a, a, a joke, I, I don't mean joke, but it, it's it's not respected anymore. You know, um, it used to be when you know when you were a fire chief, that was a big deal. When you were a captain, a lieutenant, uh, a deputy chief, whatever, that was a big deal. And now it, it, it just seems like a lot of people look at it for the money. Is the money there? No, nah, I don't want it then. And so I fear that we're getting the wrong people in positions. Um, and that, in turn, looks negativity or negatively on on the fire service, right? So now people don't respect it. Oh, oh yeah, he's he's a captain, Psh, dude. Can't even cut his lawn. He's a, he's an idiot, right? And and so now you know you got these young kids coming up, and they're like, oh, I don't want to do that. That guy's an idiot. And and Again, it, it may be an, an abstract way of looking at it, but I thought it might be an interesting rabbit hole to dive down and 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 get some some juices flowing. Yeah. Well, one thing that one thing that you just sparked my memory was Brett said that he doesn't want to take credit for having a good officer corps yeah. because those guys care. And of course, my immediate thought you was care. they care because you care. Yes. You promoted people who care. So there's that, I promote people who care. Well, people who care are good leaders. If you don't care, you won't be a good leader. So you just described people who really don't care. They don't care about the department. They don't care about leadership. They don't care about taking a position for the betterment of all. Uh, they're, like you said, in it for the money. They're in it for a title. They're in it for whatever themselves. But they really don't care about the department and the community, and that's why. They took on a leadership position that, yes. as we all know, can be thankless. Uh, it's all very fulfilling, but it also can be quite brutal and stressful because uh, Brett used to have a lot he's more. Not as, he's not as good looking as me. I'll get, you know, but. Uh. I, I will say that if I ever go to interview for another position, I can certainly say that I've not been doing this job and accomplish the things that I have for the money. Yeah. Obviously, you know, I haven't. And. I will never take credit for my department. I, I, it's all about the guys and everyone that's involved. But that changes when you go to interview for another job, right? So you want to take that credit. But 
I don't see myself, the problem is I don't see myself ever getting, moving to a different department because I won't take the credit for what we've accomplished. And I say we because it's a group, right? Even the people that frustrate the hell out of me, that I wish would give me more, I still appreciate and I still care about them and I still want them to be a part of the department. They might piss me off. I wish they would come back more and help more and do more, but I still give a shit. You know, it's not going to change. And it's what you're saying, Rob, is there's so few individuals that care so much about the entire big picture, right? You have to look at the big picture. You can't look at tomorrow. When I became chief of Lakemore, I didn't look at what was going to happen tomorrow. It was seven to ten years from mm -hmm. now. Nobody does that anymore. Right. They don't. It's all about what's my next step? What's the next step for me personally? What's the next step for me and my family? And, that, and, and I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not. If, if that's how you feel and that's what's important to you, it's just not for me. But maybe that's where we've lost some of the, the fire service aspect is sometimes it, it, as a firefighter, what is your job? It's not to, it's to care about everyone, right? Have we lost that? Is it now just changed to, well, how much overtime can I get this month? And what's my next step to the next better job? Right. What do we do to change that? I don't know. You know, I, I look back when I first got hired, at, you know, just in the conversation here at the people that uh, made me love the job. And the, the key to those individuals was their passion for the job. And I, I just I don't know how we we generate that passion again, you know, um, I, I too when I when I was on uh, New Franklin as a part timer, I'd go up there and and work twenty four hour shifts, and we only got yeah. paid if we went on a call. So I would spend an entire twenty four hours at the firehouse, just shooting the shit with the guys, trying to pick up tidbits from from guys that 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 loved the fire service, and because I wanted to learn. Yeah, same here, and I and I think that as firefighters who are currently working man don't be afraid to show your passion it's it's okay to love your job and and there's there's i didn't coin that phrase somebody uh in the fire service phrased that and i can't remember the gentleman's name but um his saying is it, it's okay to love your job it's okay and it's okay to show it it's okay to show some pride and um michael laura you look like you have something to say no no no, oh. no i i mean listen I think loving your job is important. I think that there are people that don't know how to love the job yet. And we expect people to automatically love it. Brett, you said your father was a chief. Yep. Tell us about what that was like for you. I mean, it was the coolest thing in the world, right? Because my dad was fire chief. How, I mean, how many people's father were the fire chief? I mean, come on. Right. So tell us about it. Benson has three. You got three fire chiefs. You got three kids that know what it's like to have a fire chief. Oh, I was going to tell you, I had three fathers. I was missing something. Oh, no, yeah. And they all could care less. Yeah, oh. not in, not joining the fire service. Yeah. Tell us about it, Brett. Oh. For me, it was cool as hell. I mean, geez. My dad would tell stories about taking me down to the station to fall asleep on the engine and just all the cool stuff. And the, but the coolest part for me was, and thinking back, 
it was a volunteer department is all the uh, camaraderie. So my mom we used to dispatch out of our kitchen. Come on, right wow. Here dispatch center. <laughs> we had a fire phone, right? So the fire would, the phone would ring continuously. It didn't ring up and down. It would ring continuously. You knew that was a fire. She would answer it and, uh, and, dis- and hit the tone to set off the siren, right? So that's what I grew up around, man. I got to see all that from my home. Dude, that is I, awesome. It's like living in a dispatch. Yeah. So... Hell yeah, it was awesome. And that's what put the passion in me. So maybe we need to have these kids all have fire phones. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and, you know, just that center in their kitchen. I don't know. You know, but it was awesome. I Just the parades and all the cool things that they did. And um, I just, I, I look back on it and I still have all the pictures of them building fire trucks and building the station. Right? They built their own station. Who the hell does that now? Yeah. That's why they had passion for it. They loved it. They wanted to be there for it. That was instilled in me from the day I was born. Day I was born. So how do we shove all that into the young people that we have? We want to grow and to have that passion. How do we create that passion? Chief Benson and I teach these classes, man. You know, I love him. I want to choke him. But he is awesome. When he speaks, and he, he really does get people that are these leaders. These are fire officer three and four. It's chief-level stuff. But he gets them excited about it. He got me excited about it. You know, the only thing that I have out of all the certificates and degrees and all the shit that I have hanging on my wall in front of me right now is my fire officer three and four certificate because it was so important to me. It was important to me because I got through that shit, and I was the first class out of Akron U, and I loved it. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a leader. I wanted to be a fire chief. Mm-hmm. What do we do to get these kids that excited about it? You got that. Know. You got that dog pretty excited behind you. Look at him. <laughs> I love it. He wants to go outside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love you too, true. honey. It's true. That's the only thing I've had on my too. wall. You know, I mean, all the other shits in my file. You know, if somebody wants to, the, for my CE every year, I, I send that to them, or for my for my OFC, I send that to them so they see I've been actually learning. But I'm passionate about that because I was proud to do it. So when you become an instructor or a 1403 or an inspector and an investigator, all the shit that I've done the last few years, do you care or is that just another certificate? Right. Well, Brett, let me, ask, me, let me ask you a question. <clears throat> what constitutes a good day for Brett? And don't give me the, the full roster shit. <laughs> you know what? Just like today. Today was a really good day. We had a good crew. We had good officers. We had a full-timer starting yesterday. We had a nice, you know, we made lunch. Everybody hung out. There was good camaraderie. Um, it was just a positive day, man. I came home, and my wife's chilling in the pool, and I get to come out and maybe grab a beer and play with my dog. That's a good day. But... The same aspect, I, I'm doing something I love. I'm doing something I love. How, you know, every day is a vacation, whether I'm miserable about the schedule or not. By the end of the day, it all comes down to the fact that I love doing this job, and I love leading people and helping them to grow. That's a good day to me. So today was a good day, and my dog's chewing on my arm right now. But if, <laughs> you know, if we have a bad day, shit, what are you going to do? Well, I think that's the message. That's the message, right? I mean, I'm trying to get us to to the lowest common denominator, which is 
what is it about this job that we can help other people understand? That's what mentorship is. You Early on, you said that you learned from people that were uh, mentors to you. What did you learn from those people that mattered to you? You know, I think just being approachable. What, you know, what does that mean? Big, I guess a lot of the bigger fire chiefs, right? So you have fire chiefs, and in, in, I'm a member of the sort executive board, so on Summit County, so I have some some clout, right? So I'm I'm one of the three chiefs in the county that does what we're supposed to do. And you see some of these big chiefs that are, you know, Akron Fire Chief, or I just recently, Chief Benson and I just taught a chief from uh, Cleveland Fire, one of three, right? That are just approachable and good people. Just, you can have a conversation with them. That's cool as hell to me, right? Because you look at some of these guys and like, oh wow, he's a big, he's a big wig. We don't bother him, and they're just, just like us. That's how I want to be. He's just a laid back guy that everybody likes and enjoys. By the way, the sort board is the special operations response team executive board that oversees all the technical rescue and hazardous material teams in Summit County. So that's what SORT stands for. Let's take a break. All right. So, uh, so Brett. Go ahead. Brett, talk to us a little bit more about what it was about the fire service that really made you want to do this over making a lot of money. It's cool, man. Like, I don't even know what to say. It's just, For me, it's people look up to you right so uh, playing football and all the things that I did I was good I was very good and I had a lot of honors and people looked up to me so I like that I like that team aspect I like that people looking up to you aspect and not letting them down right just uh, being what they look for so for me it's just doing what I wanted to do I, I wanted to be able to help people, which is the bullshit answer you hear at every interview, right? But I wanted to be able to do that, and I wanted to make a difference. Um, it all came down to leadership. For me, it's uh, it's all about working towards what you want your department to be. So I feel that that's my daily thing. What makes me happy every day, that you were saying earlier, is if I made a positive impact or if I did what I needed to do to make us a better department and make it what I want to be. So that's really what drew me to it is that aspect of it is being a fireman, man. I mean, it just doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any better to me, period. Do, would, would you describe your career thus far as being pretty fulfilling? Most definitely, but the problem, like I said, that we've talked about and beat beat to death is the staffing thing. If, if every day was full and I had people to mandate and I didn't have to worry about the schedule, I'd be the happiest guy in the world. But that drags me down. That, that just does. It gets exhausting. So, so outside the staffing issue, I'm curious, have you ever felt defeated since you've been a firefighter or fire chief? And if so, how'd you deal with that? I mean, because we all go through it. No matter how passionate we are about the job, um, you will hit your dark moment. And I'm curious what, what that dark moment was for you and, and how'd you overcome it? 
think the dark moment for me was this year again working Christmas and Christmas Eve. And that's been three years in a row. Okay. Um, I felt that I've gotten myself to a position that I shouldn't be having to do that. I'd like, you know, because the holidays are really important to me. When I was in the private world, I would always take off pretty much the whole month, hang out with family, decorate, have a good time. And that was taken away from me. Um, not to anyone's fault, just the way how things are. And I think I hit that point a lot. More and more, being more burned out, um, not having a, a true vacation, and like I said, seven years, um, I'm getting to that point. There's times when, when I get up in the morning, you know, I used to get up, I get up every day at 5.30, and I used to be out the door by 6.30, quarter to 7, and at work, and ready to go, and, and I find myself lately sitting on the couch with a dog and watching Two and a Half Men a little bit longer than I should, getting into work a little bit later, you know what I mean? Um, and I, I know that it's time for me to, to take a step back and, and take some time for myself and my family, but I can't do it. Yeah. I, I just, you know, people say all the time, well, just do it. Just take off. Who cares? Um, you know, I took an oath to protect my community and do my job. So just saying, oh, fuck it. Sorry. Screw it. I'm going to stay home for two weeks. And I don't care if anybody's working. Mm -hmm. That'll never happen with me. So I guess that's me mentally. <laughs> that's my own fault. And I think year after year that things with the staffing and stuff, it just grows on you and grows on you. At what point do you just say, you know what, I need time for myself? I don't know. Well, I don't think that's selfish at all. And and I, if I could sum it up in in one word, I think it's the calling, right? We're called to do a duty and we will sacrifice your sacrifice in holidays, your sacrifice in family time. And you still love the job. I mean, that's what makes this profession so, so amazing to me is, is the amount of sacrifices we will put out there, you know, missing your kids games, your recitals, uh, you know, family events, just so we can get on a truck and help somebody. I, I, there's no greater feeling. I, I mean, that's just it, it. Well, I see more and more lately. You know, I've been trying to, you know what, I was, we had a fire last night at 3 o'clock. I've been here since then. It's 3 o'clock. I'm going home. And I feel guilty. Yeah. And, and, you know, because I don't want the guys to say, well, what the hell, Chief went home today at 2, you know. But they don't see how many hours we work behind the right. scenes. Or the things that we do. I mean, they do, but they don't realize yeah. how much extra you do. Perspective. To really make sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess as a good leader, I do everything I can. I mean, there's been times where I'm like, dude, I am exhausted, but damn it, I'm staying here till 4.30. Yeah. So the guys see me stay here. And at some point, you as a, as a leader need to not lead your department, but lead yourself and better yourself and, and do what's right for your family. Mm -hmm. And I'll say that my wife is absolutely incredible. You know, she never questions me when I get up in the middle of the night and leave or if I'm gone for hell, I've been gone for 20 hours at a time. She never gives me yeah. hell. You know, she comes home and, and has dinner ready for me. But I think my concern is at some point she might be like, hey, dude, what the hell? Yeah. You know, um, 
I guess there's at some point that we all need to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. And, and the problem is with me, I do everything I can, I guess, as a leader and as a chief, and I put all that into the guys. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that their life is good. And we all do that, right? All of our guys' life is good. They're happy. They're thrilled. They're happy to be there. But at what point do we as leaders flip that around on ourselves and say, hey, dude, you know, it's time to worry about you. And I, I don't know when I'm going to reach that. I think I'm getting close. I think I'm getting close. But then, of course, I'm going to feel guilty about that. Yeah. As we all would. It's a, it's, it's a tough, I mean, go ahead, Michael. But there's a point. Um, I mean, that, that's, that's tough because, um, you know, that was, uh, that, that was the transition period for me, right? I had reached that point where I needed to start taking care of me. I, I had, my, my gas tank was empty, um, and, and I, I needed to step away. Um, I love the job, obviously. I'm still, you know however many months into retirement and I still go to chief meetings with you. I, uh, I, I'm going to a promotional tomorrow. Um, I, I, I will always, always, always love the fire service, but you're right. At some point we as chiefs or leaders or, or whatever, even a firefighter, right? Firefighters have the same point that they're going to come to where they got to step away. Not maybe permanently, not resign, not retire, but you got to find some some peace, right? Because if you don't, you're not going to do anybody any good. And um, no, you have. But I said it better. That's kind of what I was going to say was the uh, the need to take care of yourself. That's okay. The need to take care for your of yourself is you you will be the better chief if you are rested and available and you've had a break um it, yes you have that dedication we all have that dedication but you do deserve and need to have some time off so that you are the best version of yourselves for your people and if you don't do that and you do burn yourself out well, then you will not you'll no longer be that but that's my uh, problem best Chief. version of yourself not my that you're not doing that me, now because i think you do a great job so. the only time that i will reach that point is God forbid something happens serious. Like the doctor says, dude, you need to step away. So my thing is I'm getting to the point in my career that I'm saying, I know I need to step away, but I can't leave anybody hanging. And unfortunately, what what makes my day shitty is when I sit and think about, am I gonna harm myself by overextending myself I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And, and, you know, for us as leaders, people watching this need to understand that we need to reach a point where we take the time for ourselves because we'll be shit leaders as if, if we can't do that. Right. Or at least look at ourselves in the mirror and say, dude, step back, man. Take a break. Exactly. And I'm hoping with these full timers that we just hired. Yeah that I can do that, but who knows? So, so looking back on your career, if you could go back and do something different in your career, what would it be? Starting this job when I went through school, cause I'd be retired by now. <laughs> okay. I mean, honestly, yeah, because you know, I started so late because again, I was a dumb young kid. Um, 
and again, I, I talk about Chief Riedel a lot, but, and I still talk with him. I just helped him with a, a lot of stuff with him trying to get full-time. Um, he tried to get me to do the right things, man, and I just was stupid. Yeah. If I would have done the things that I should have done in the day and stuck with it, I'd be retired like you guys, but I'm not. And I guess I have to make that realization that, look, dude, you got started late, man. Suck it up and get through it. But I'm not going to make it through it if I do not take care of myself and my family. Mm -hmm. But the problem is I can't get past helping everyone else. You know, I think it, us as leaders, sometimes we need to be selfish. But I, I agree. And But I think another key point that I'm picking up there is – uh, as it relates to mentorship, if you mentor your people, you have the ability to step away, right? Because you've prepared them. You know, the the organization doesn't work because of one person. The organization works because of of the guys and the girls on the on the front line doing it. And for me, um, the few times that I was able to step away, it was because. I knew I left the department in good hands, you know, they didn't need me, you know, that, that, that was my one goal is to create a department where they didn't need me. And when they don't need you, that's when you can get a break, right? Um, at, at least that's kind of what I'm picking up from you. And I, and I think Brett, you're well on your way, uh, and probably not well on your way. You probably already achieved it. You probably can start stepping away if you if you need to you know and and take care because you gotta you gotta put some gas in the tank brother <laughs> and and i tell you you know who was really good at that was benson like i i mean mike you you knew how to shut it off i i, I was more like you brett i i lived eat and breathed the fire service 24 7 and i had a hell of a time shutting it off but uh and, and Michael, Laura, I'm not sure um, if that was a struggle for you or not, um, or if you you had the magic Michael Benson gift of being able to. Up, oh, I'm home. Click, it's off. No. Yeah. No, I, I wish I could say I did. I think but I made it look easier than it really was. The thing that really I've been was. saying is, I'm a because until recently. Yeah. I'm the only full-time member on a department. So me saying, you know what, screw it. I'm going to stay, I'm going to be off for a week. That might leave four open shifts. Yeah. That might leave the community uncovered if I can't cover that. Or if, my radio is on 24-7. I respond 24-7. I don't have people. And my leaders are great. You know, my two captains, I could not ask for more from. But our assistant chief had a baby this year. Our lieutenants all had babies this year, and that's the fine line that I have to, to, to weigh is you're going to be an asshole and say, look, man, you got you, I know you just had a kid, but you got to be here and come back for callbacks and structure fires. And for a small department, we have a boatload of structure fires. So I am at every one of them. You know, if I miss one, it's very rare. And, and those guys have families, though, and they have full-time jobs. I can't just walk away and be like, oh, I'm taking a week off. It's up to you guys because they have responsibilities yeah. too. So it's my job to 
cover that community. And, you know, and I have the mayor and the council president recently just lectured me for an hour about taking time off and getting away. But they're also the same people that'll bitch and complain to me if we have a fire and nobody's mm-hmm. there. Right? What's your, so what what's your point? <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you do? How, how do you make everybody happy? It's not possible. Right. It's not possible. You know, and I'm not going to sit here and hear a structure fire go out on the radio and know that I have one guy on station and be like, oh, sorry, that's up to you, dude, because I'm not. Yeah. So that's the thing that's not just me. It's going through every combination department. You know, I just talked to a young man the other day, that a, a good department that's got full-time, too, that it was him and the chief on for a whole Saturday by themselves. Yeah. What do you right. do? So what advice would you, you fight around if you met somebody who had showed a slight interest in the fire service what what advice would you give them <laughs> I mean no same thing I tell the kids all the time they come to me what do I have to do I'll become an EMT become a paramedic first go to fire school but find a position that you enjoy that also is um, you can also level everything out with your family and the fire service and, and what you do with your life. You've got to find a happy medium, man. Unfortunately, I jumped in late, and my happy medium is way off the board because I don't have one right now. You've got to find that. And, and that's where I saw people that want to be the chief, or they don't understand what you have to deal with, right, especially in a department like ours. Um, for a small department, we're fairly busy, and there's a lot going on. So I would take a full-time job with a full-time department with all full-time guys all day long because it's a thousand times easier. Mm-hmm. It just is. It is. <clears throat> but, yeah, I mean, just find that balance between family and the job. Let me ask you a question, Brett. What's the name of your fire department? Lakemore Fire. Lake Fire? Lakemore. Lakemore. Mm-hmm. What what would you say would be the benefit of joining, becoming a member of Lakemore Fire Department? It's a very, very, very family atmosphere. Um, we provide a ton of training. We get people full-time jobs. So I feel that all the boards and the, and the things that I'm on, I'm on so that I can relay good information to chiefs that are looking for full-timers to hire my guys. Great. A lot, a lot of people come to us just starting out. We train them. We, we give them some experience. We get them ready to go. And people know that when they hire our guys, they're going to be an asset to their department. So if you want a full-time job, if you want training, if you want to be prepared and have experience, you come work for us. So you said before, which spoke to my heart, much earlier that you help people to achieve their goals that's that's my mission that's why i'm doing what i'm doing here ton of training you said give me an example ton of training give me an example of what training you're talking about so today for us for to show what we're doing we sent five of our guys to the burn building at wayne county fire school just to do some live fire training um that's just a small aspect we send them to fire officer one through four. We send them to leadership, inspector, instructor, investigator. 
we send them to as many classes as we can to prepare them for the future. Free. So not only to be a fireman, but also to be a leader. Free. You know. And that's what we do. That's what, you know, we might not pay $25 an hour, but you're going to make decent money and enjoy your job and not be messed with. You're going to come in, do your truck checks, run your calls, make sure the residents are happy, the station's neat and tidy, and then enjoy what you're doing part-time and go for that full-time position. Michael Lohr, you That's what we are. Michael Lohr, you started to say free. Were you referring to they go for free or it's free training? They go for free. No cost to them. Yeah, no cost to them, and they no actually get paid. Correct, Brett? I was going to say, we actually paid. Yeah. yeah, we actually paid all the guys that went to the burn building. Day, and we do that several times a year. I mean, maybe this is a commercial. Maybe it's not. I'm in a position where I work in an area. Firefighter paramedic is, is the standard. Salaries are, are, are comparable to what uh, departments are are demanding in in the profession um it's hard to get people to show up to work but what i'm trying to do is create an environment where it's like come here it's not a grind you know people make people want to come here so i'm trying to give you the opportunity to 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 describe to people what that looks like for them not everybody not everybody knows what you're talking about yeah, they're, and, and a lot of guys in our area do know that, you know, they come in, it's very laid back, nobody's going to mess with them, they're going to get all the training they want for free and get paid for it, and, uh, you know, we like I said, we have a lot of structured fighters, so if guys want experience and, and to fight fire, you know, that's not real common in a lot of areas, um, I think we had 32 working structured fires last year. That's a this lot, It's a lot. This year, I think we're at 22. 30, so 30 in a in a year is is you know three a month. Yeah, because yeah, we go to all the surrounding communities for all structured fires, so you're going to get to have some fun and learn and get some experience, and that's huge, in my opinion. Hell, if somebody had told me that when I worked my first job at Valley Fire, we were lucky if we had two or three a year, mm-hmm. right? So um, you're talking, you're getting the roll out the door, and you might be the officer in the seat. Depends on who's working. You might be the officer in the seat. So that experience, too. Um, we try to pass it on. We run a lot of fire academies through our station. We do a lot of training through our station, through Akron U. Um, we offer a lot. So if people want to work, they want to get a full-time job, they want to get some experience, make a decent buck, run three calls a day, um, hell, what else could you ask for? Decent, nice equipment, you know. Hell, I, I'm talking to myself, and I might just quit and apply there. <laughs> Again. Don't talk about it. So, uh, Brett, outside of the staffing issues, what what other ongoing challenges do you see for the fire service? Funding. Funding how? As far the, as income tax? Well, like, well, right now, the uh, federal government's driving me nuts. You know, we know AFG, SAFER. Their system crashed, what have you. We hired our two full-time guys recently because we couldn't wait any longer to be awarded safer. We just had to do it. We had no choice. And what I actually reached out to to AFG recently and said, can we petition you to have you pay for these guys we had to hire because of your delays? Mm -hmm. And 
it's it's constant, man. The the state of Ohio put out this new grant for the volunteer program and all the things. Volunteer is dead. I'm sorry, it's dead. What they need to be concentrating on is part time paid, and and because that's the future. It's not volunteer. I'm sorry. The volunteers, God bless them. You know, some of these guys are they're doing this stuff for free and using their own gas and coming in there. That is awesome. But put some money into funding these departments to be able to pay guys. That's what they need. You can't rely on Everything is so slow, though. You know it is. I mean, it just takes forever. So do you think uh, public expectation has surpassed the current fire service's ability to provide the services? I'm sorry, what was the question? That's all right. Um, do, you, do you think the public expectation is, has surpassed what we as a fire service can provide under the current situation of funding and absolutely yeah. absolutely you know i can't remember the chief's name from chicago but he he put out that statement that the public expects you know 10 guys to show up with you know uh, doctor's degrees and then top top physical condition and to be able to do everything they need to do but they don't want to pay for it i mean our community's very supportive they go above and beyond um they they pass our levies they do everything we can but i think the community needs to realize that levies just aren't everything you have to put more money into it if you want a department if you want 24 7 als coverage and three or four guys on staff all the time guys that'll show up and put your fire out help you with a heart attack or whatever the money has to be there mm -hmm. but where's the money coming from right where you know communities can only they can only afford so much so you have to be smart about it. Where's that money coming from? And maybe the state or the federal government needs to actually throw in some money towards positive end gain. I don't, I don't know what that is, but I see it every day. I mean, hell, we have to have our bottles hydroed. That's $4,000 this year. Um, where's that coming from? You know, that's a lot of money. You know, a truck goes down. We just had a med unit with 20,000 miles on it. The engine blew up, $8,000. Where's that money coming from? There's so many things that roll in together. There's just not enough money there, and it's sad. I mean, it's nobody's fault. Yeah, I think you know, the community does what they can. One of the things that I found um, was a complete disconnect at, at what our equipment costs. And I gave a presentation one time. And I put uh, dollar signs with stuff like uh, one SCBA, fifty-five hundred dollars, and you have to buy four. Like, like uh, for Barberton, I had to buy forty of them. That's a, that's a lot of money. An ambulance, <laughs> two hundred and fifty thousand. A heart monitor, thirty-two thousand. You know, and and when you have multiple med units, now you're buying multiple monitors, multiple med units, and people were shocked at how much the equipment costs alone. I also put together a spreadsheet one time at the cost of hiring somebody. And just to hire a firefighter uh, at Barberton at the time, it was $10,000 per person that you hire. By the time you go through the hiring process, the testing, um, outfit them with gear, radio, masks, and everything, it, it's... It's just a huge, huge expense. Yeah, we just had to replace two monitors, life packs, uh, sixty-four thousand dollars. 
the gear that I used to buy was $1,800 a set two years ago. Now it's $3,200. So costs have gone up not for just regular. I mean, and you're looking at eight to 12 months for delivery. Yeah. yeah. So maybe the government should step in with stuff like that. Right. I mean, eight to 12 months. But in the way the part-time service is, I could measure four guys today, eight to 12 months from now, they're no longer with yep. me. And now I got four sets that don't fit in. Yep. I had it happen to me on a much smaller scale than, than what you're dealing with. But um, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, and that's a huge, huge problem in the fire service right now. I mean, anything that says EMS, you know, as good as I do, costs, you know, tenfold. Yeah. Or fire, anything, because they, they jack the price up. I mean, $3,200 for a set of gear, good Lord. Come on. You know, where's that coming from? Right. And you have to replace, you're supposed to replace it every 10 years, you know? Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. And that's the, that's the problem. And, and, the, and if the government would be, pick up the pace a little, man. If you're going to award grants, award grants. Yeah. Move it along. So I take it they haven't started awarding anything yet? No. Wow. Not a thing. No, we've been waiting for safer. Like you said, we had to hire two. So that obviously, obviously the retired <laughs> fire chiefs in the room are very happy to be retired fire chiefs in the room, and I can see where Brett, Brett is still frustrated and wishes he was one of the, wishes he was one now, of the Chief retired Bittner fire chiefs. Was our chief in the for room for many years. So. He's very well known and very well respected. Um, I actually hired him as non-technical support so we could put him on the roster so he can help and just be a part of it. But just talking to him is at least once a month. I talk to him. Things have changed so much. Mm -hmm. You know, they used to run three or 400 calls a year. And, you know, we've tripled that. So we're still doing the same thing, so nothing's changed. You just do it with you know, more. It's the same problems he had. Yeah. 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 And now, <clears throat> that was the yeah, other. Just three times, four Excuse times. Excuse me a second. Yeah. Sorry about that. That was the, the other big change that I saw in the fire service is as call volume increased other things had to give right so as as we were going on more calls well that was less public education we could do that was less station and vehicle maintenance we were available to do and then you had to farm that stuff out and um i i don't see call volume decreasing anytime soon um but man we're, we're just on the wrong side of the of the the coin on, on this right now, right? You you have increase in service requests and a decrease in resources to provide it, and that's uh, yeah. that's a that's a shitty situation to be in, especially when you care as much as all of us do about the fire service in the community. You know, it, it's it's a lot of sleepless nights. Um, that's for sure. It's not going to it's not going to get any better. No, either, you know. It, it just gets worse. You know, it, it's funny because I, I pray a lot. And one of my prayers is, hey, man, let's start this day. Let's have something positive yeah. happen. You know, but it it just seems like the negatives far outweigh the positives right now. And, again, the, the, the greatest part about this all, as negative as it is and how much it sucks, I still love this job. Yeah. You know, I wish we could get that into other people. Yeah. Because if I had that in the... You know, I probably have it into 10 people in our department. We had it into 30 or 20. 
that were that passionate and excited about it, imagine what we could accomplish. And, and I'm a small thing. Imagine a big department. If you had 20% or 30% of their guys that were really passionate about it, how much we could do. But, but that's what we have to get, get past is make that happen. Yeah. So I guess the end, the, the, the thing is, what I'm trying to get across is, Jesus, I still love this job, yeah. man. I may be miserable, yeah. and I might be sad, and I may be depressed, but damn it, I still love the job. Yeah. I want to make it better, so t- let, let's make it better. So you mentioned uh, the guys being exhausted. What, what do you see as the mental health toll uh, that's being taken on, on the fire service right now? Um, working the hours, the the pandemic, uh, so on and so forth. What what are you seeing in the young people coming in? How are they adjusting to it? How would you, what would you say to them to help them get through the next twenty years of their career? It, right now, they're not. I mean, COVID really, really killed us. It burned everybody out. You know, getting their asses kicked, and then getting all the overtime or getting mandated at their full time jobs you got to find that balance man you, you know and, and it might be the thing that's sad for me is it's quitting me mm-hmm. it's it's quitting my department right they they need some happiness on their end so they're going to quit our department obviously and i get yeah. that but you got to find a happy medium dude because if not you'll burn out some of these 25 or 30 year old kids that have been doing it not that long or they're exhausted mm-hmm. you know they're getting mandated every day they have staff shortages we have a department close to us that runs 3,000 calls a year with a minimum manning of three guys. You tell me they're not How tired. <laughs> so how is it me as a chief to say, hey, I know you're getting your ass kicked, but come over here and work your minimum with yeah. us. You know, I, I can't do yeah. that. But I have to find that happy medium as a leader to say, I get you, man. You know what? You're exhausted. Go in the day room. Take you a flat back nap. You know, go chill. If we get a call, you come out. That's what we need to do as leaders is understand what some of these guys are going through and and help them through it and not make their life miserable, make it a positive thing. It's all about empathy, you know, understanding. Mm -hmm. I I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, when I – Michael Benson, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when I got hired, um, you were expected between the hours of 8 and 4, your ass wasn't in a chair, wasn't in a bed. You needed to be doing something. And, um, you know, towards the latter part of the of our career, I was like, just go sit in a chair, dude. You're going to be up all night. I know this. And I think that's where a lot of officers struggle sometimes is they lack that empathy, that empathy to, to look at the guy or the girl and go, like you just said, Brett, I got you. You know, at, at some point as a mentor, as a leader, you got to be able to reach down to your people and say, "I know, I know you're tired. I got you." And um, I, I, I think I was seeing a lot more of that go on um, towards the end of my career. And it sounds like that's exactly what's going on at, at, at Lakemore. And I, and I think that's crucial. It's a shit sandwich right now for everybody. Um, but. Michael Benson, you got to have some wisdom. He's retired. What did he I actually had to have that argument with some administrative folks that just did not understand 
why I did not care if my people fell asleep in the chair at lunchtime. And I had to explain to them, I want them just as responsive at 2 p.m. as they are at 2 a.m. And they're going to be up all night long. If that means they fell asleep after lunch, not a problem. Because they'll be up. They'll go finish their daily chores and all that stuff has to get done. They'll get their training in. They'll get the truck checks in. They'll get their workouts in. They'll do all the stuff they need to do. But they also need to be able to do it for 24 hours straight. Which you could then go back to the whole argument they had. Because I remember having this argument back when we first started 30 plus years ago. Should be we should we be working 24-hour shifts? Should we be on 12? Should we be on 10s and 14s again? You know, should we be on what the a different style of shift that actually lets people uh, handle that kind of thing? FDNY does not do 24-hour shifts. If you're doing it, it's because you're on overtime. Um, that kind of concept where you just can't work people to death straight for 24 hours. Maybe that's part of the recruitment and retention. Uh, concept not having people work that many hours in a row on a place that's that busy and of course rob and i when we first started there was literally one ambulance that went on all the ms calls that everybody else did not so it was easier to do the everybody works eight to four mondays or friday and does all the or saturday and does all the daily chores and everything and, and you're not supposed to be sitting down except when you're having your lunch break but it's different when you're literally running ems runs just constantly so that's the way it is today and the way and the, i agree with rob i don't think it's going to change much as far as like call volume but i am wondering if the death of the volunteer and part-time fire services is what brett was referring to is coming kind of like the police departments they just you just don't have very many or or any you don't have any volunteer police departments i can guarantee that one uh, and you have very few that are just part-time so lakemore is relatively unique in that uh, almost everybody else it's full-time and they pay for it so you know, once again brett said one police officer is a lot cheaper than a staffed fire truck with three four people on it uh it's a lot more expensive so and of course the hazards are different and the response is different and what you do so then you start talking about things that were around again in the 80s and 90s the public service officer concept where you actually have police, fire, and EMS all doing the same, or the same people doing all the same jobs uh, together so that one person is qualified to do all three. And how do you handle that? And we still have that uh, in Ohio. That's a good question for Michael Laura. Do they have that in Clifton, New Jersey, the public safety officer concept where you can work a daytime police officer shift and work the rest of your shift on fire and ems and actually be a certified so clifton or new jersey was known in new jersey for provider. the public safety officer concept which was they would take new firefighters and send them to the police academy and then have them do a, a patrol when they had four people in the fire station they would put leave two in the fire station and put two in a car and do a law law enforcement patrol which dwindled down to two people in a fire engine, and that was it. Uh, they outlawed it in 19, the 80s at some point. I got hired in the, in the mid-90s. Uh, it doesn't work. You cannot have a jack-of-all-trades in today's environment to provide law enforcement, fire, EMS, and specialty. It just doesn't work. Uh, we can want it to, but it doesn't. And unfortunately for agencies that are trying to fill their ranks with people, it's like, what do you want to do? 
people that want to fight fire. There's very few places that you can fight fire and just do that. I wrote down something here. I heard this in a podcast I was on last week that said, we don't get paid to fight fires. For those for those of us who get paid, we don't get paid to fight fires. We'll do that part for free. We get paid to do everything else. It's a good, good line. And I was like, damn, right? I mean, if you get one fire a month, you do that part of the job for free. Mm-hmm. You're going to get paid for all the bullshit. Right yeah. up to that point, and uh, I heard that and I was like, Err. "But it's true. People coming into the business that want to fight fire—it's not what we do. It's not. And it's our job to understand. Yeah, it's our, it's our job to understand those guys. Unless you're in Lakemore, need need their time. I mean, like I said before, <laughs> you come into your truck checks. And the station's clean, man. Go chill, dude. And it's our job as leaders. To, there's no, there's no such thing as a work day anymore, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of departments have that. So, you know, you're going to be out there scrubbing floors till four o'clock, whether you like it or not. My opinion is these guys need to be ready to respond to emergencies. Is what they're paid for. Us as leaders need to be understanding of that and let them do that, man. Let them enjoy that job and let them go chill because that's the only thing I give them. You know, a little bit of training and come in and make some money to basically chill out. You know, like I said, run three calls a day. Nobody's going to bother you. That's what everyone needs to understand, that we need to get rid of that work day thing and guys getting their ass kicked all day and then going and running calls all night. You know, we have to be understanding of that. And and Michael's right. I can't imagine – and I wish my brother and my cousin were on here because I'm sure they would say, you can't be a cop and a policeman and a park ranger and the garbage guy can't do it. and the road department it. guy and the water department guy and all that shit because you need your time and you're going to have to, you're probably going to have to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and deal with a bunch of bullshit. So understand that and be understanding and have empathy, like Rob was saying, and give a shit about these guys and making their career long and enjoyable that they can retire from. And, you know, um, the leader needs to have true grit and tenacity to deal with things that the workforce shouldn't have to handle, right? We have to handle that shit. We have to deal with it. I have to deal with the fact the schedule's open. I have to deal with the fact that we're short on guys, that the budget sucks. That's my job. I take that stuff on my shoulders. It shouldn't be on the guys. Right. And I think a lot of people try to push that down the line. You, you can't, man. That's your job. That's your yeah. job. And I think Riggs would agree. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm very glad Riggs uh, attended tonight. Riggs, for the listeners only, is a gorgeous, gorgeous Labrador? Chocolate Lab. Labrador. Get it Sorry. right. Chalky Chocolate Lab. lab. Yeah. Jesus, personally. Come ah, on, do you know what? Chocolate Lab. I've been out of the business for a while. Mindy's going to be so, so excited. Yeah. She'll watch this whole thing. Um, Victor is right. awfully So we have just hit, like... If you said something, Michael, it didn't come across. You froze, so you were like, "Oh, I froze." We got all froze. Actually, okay. you froze, Rob. Which I is didn't funny. want to cut you off. Yeah. Um, we so we're froze. hitting the two-hour yeah. mark. Um, yeah. Brett, anything you want to f- finish up with? No, I really enjoyed this, guys. I just 
I hope this actually helps some people with some of their problems. Um, and anything I can do to help anyone, anytime, I'm always here. I enjoy this. Um, and Riggs yeah. does too. Michael, Laura, any any uh, final thoughts? No, I just want to say that from Ohio to New Jersey to Florida, if you're interested in being a part of the solution, let us know how we can help you to do that because there's a lot of different ways to do that. There really is. Michael Benson, any any, any parting comments from you? Well, I think Chief Reinbold has made it clear that this career or this job is a way to feel fulfilled. If you want to find a way to where you can feel like yeah. you've made a difference in people's lives, well, then go be a firefighter paramedic. That's absolutely one of the best ways to have an opportunity to literally save people's lives. And if you have any interest in that, anybody listening on the to the podcast, and I don't know why anybody would if you weren't already in the fire service, but if you're not, then this is your opportunity to make a difference. And you start in a little place like Lakemore. I started just down the street from Lakemore in Uniontown, and we would go on calls with Steve Spittner. And I remember that chief. He was a great guy. And... Uh, yeah, it's it's a great place to start, find your way, and then you end up having a whole career where you literally can save a life a day, every single day, if you wanted to. And it's just a, a wonderful career, and I wish people did realize the value and how you feel and how you feel like part of a team and that everything Brett was talking about related to sports and also in the fire department. Obviously. Because you don't have to be an athlete to be on the fire department. <laughs> But the uh, the the camaraderie, the teamwork, the, the making. I think a he difference. was shooting at you. Absolutely. I know, Robert. It wasn't going to take a shot <laughs> at you. But anyway, no. That's that's the big takeaway for me. Now, big takeaway from uh, from Brett was that this is such a rewarding yeah. career, and people who don't aspire to it are actually just they're yeah, missing out. I couldn't they're be. Missing and, out. You know, so we I talked a lot people of, would look about a lot of negative things tonight and positive. But anybody that watches this needs to understand that. I don't think anyone in this room could be more proud to be a part of this brotherhood and to do this job and to serve our communities, large or small, each individual. To me, what an honor, what an honor. That's what makes me happy. Michael asked me that earlier, what's make me, what makes me happy every day? And that's waking up and knowing that I'm doing, I'm making a difference and I'm serving my community and doing it in the honest and ethical way every day. I'm proud of that. And, uh, and I really enjoyed this, and hope you guys ask me back sometime. We, we will. Uh, not, not, <laughs> I, I, something you just said, no, Brian, I just want to touch you're on. You're never um, coming back. You're done. You said that uh, we, we discussed a lot of negative stuff, and, and we did. But you know what? I think it's important. I think it's important, um, for one, for the general public, if, if they are listening to this podcast, to hear – what, we're, what our challenges are, because only they can help us, right? Uh, we're doing everything we can to help ourselves, so we have to be able to discuss the negatives. Um, the second piece of that is I think it's important for the rank and file to also hear that as chief officers, 
Um, these are the conversations that need to go on. And, and not only do they need to go on, they are going on. It's just the fire service needs some help right now from everybody. So um, I just want to thank you again. Um, as Michael Alora said, uh, if if we can be of any assistance to anybody, um, please reach out to any of us from Mentors on Fire. Um, we have a Facebook page. Uh, my uh, email is R Pursley, and that's spelled P as in Paul, U R S L E Y, at mentorsonfire.com. Michael Alora. Um, I am at M Alora, M A L L. <clears throat> Sorry, A-L-L-O-R-A at mentorsonfire.com. And I am Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at commandconsultingllc.com. And we Command thank Consulting them. is a proud sponsor. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and shut it down. Uh, everybody have a good night uh, and stay safe. Bye, everybody. <laughs>